Well, y'all, it is Thanksgiving. And now that you're done with all the dressing and the cranberry, now we can uh, get into the word of God. Um, <laughs> but, you know, every fourth Thursday uh, in November, all Americans, you know what we're doing, whether we're religious or secular, uh, we are celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, as the story would have it, um, 1620, a ship, I, I've been practicing this because this one was, uh, had the opportunity for much sin right here, a ship set sail <laughs> uh, from Europe carrying about 100 plus people uh, to the New World. And after this long journey and the first winter in the New World, out of those 100 plus uh, travelers who were coming in, only 50 were remaining. Uh, the adventure to and in um, the New World had proven to be more arduous and more difficult than anyone could have ever expected or imagined. But harvest did come. And sometime between September and November of 1621, uh, the colonists and some Native Americans had a three-day celebration of the fall harvest. And this was customary in uh, Europe. You celebrated uh, the harvest coming in. And so that's what they did. Now, there's only two accounts of, um, that depict the first Thanksgiving. Uh, one of them was by Edward Winslow. And here's an excerpt uh, from his writing. He said, and although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. I'll read the last part again. He says, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Now, it's obvious and it's very fitting for on Thanksgiving, either the Sunday before or the Sunday after. We got to do some kind of Thanksgiving message. So we took a break from Mark and I chose the, thanks the Sunday after Thanksgiving to do a little thing, uh, something around Thanksgiving. Um, and obviously, what would you choose to preach on on Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Giving thanks. That is right. And that's very appropriate. Y'all could do this. Y'all could do this. But I'm glad they let me do it. Um, but. I chose to deviate a little bit. Um, I absolutely, gratitude is um, the soup du jour. Um, but today, I want to talk about sharing because I think it's also a virtue that's a part of the Thanksgiving a holiday that deserves attention. For the early colonists, in response to God's abundant provision for them, their conclusion was that they need to be sharers. Uh, everybody say sharers. sharers. We need to be sharers. Um, now, it was sharing in the Bible. Is sharing in the Bible. Where would you find it? Okay, all right, you stumbled a little bit. So just in case you were confused and you need to know where you can arm yourself up with sharing, that's what we'll talk about today. In Acts, the 20th chapter, Paul has gathered the Ephesian leaders together for a farewell address. And now we know farewell addresses are very important. If this is the last time I'm going to see you, I'm going to choose these words that I'm going to say very carefully. Now, whether I'm leaving for a moment or this is leaving for the final forever, some of you all have been forced fortunate enough to have those sweet and impactful conversations with loved ones who transition, right? Maybe hospital beds, a sweet little moment of time.
time where you can get that last confirmation, that last bit of instruction, son, love your mama, take care of your children. And it's been a beautiful moment that you can hold on to forever. Paul gathers these people, these Ephesians leaders that he's been doing ministry with for years now, and he finally has all their attention, and it's an emotional moment. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. I preach it often, but it's a really emotional moment. He pauses after he kind of uh, admonishes them to keep the gospel primary in their life. This is the reason why we do everything. I think one of my favorite verses is Acts 20, 24, right? Paul says, hey, I don't count my life as any value unto myself, only that I could testify to the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's his only aim. But he kind of pauses with a really weird uh, kind of pause, in my, in, my, in my opinion. And in verse uh, 35, he says this, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So we go from the primacy of the gospel to, yes, and remember, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, Paul. Um, now, just for a little bit of context, uh, we actually don't have any record of Jesus saying these words. You can't find them anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, you're not going to find them. Um, but we know Paul's not lying. Say, Paul, not lying. Inerrancy. Somebody say inerrancy. No, I'm just playing. He's laughing. Some of y'all know what we're talking about. All right. Uh, first of all, let's just say this culture in which our brothers are writing, these New Testament writers are writing, are this is a primarily illiterate culture, right? So we know oral tradition is very, very important. Um, we've preached about the Talmud, which is this recording of all of the rabbinical sayings that had been passed down. So we know oral tradition is important, that there are things that you know, the ancient Jewish mind could probably rattle off that had been told to them and they just held on and they passed down. So this is absolutely part of uh, what Jesus could be doing. But we also know John 21 and 25. It says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself, John says, could not contain the book that could be written by all that Jesus done and accomplished. Basically, what we have in the Gospels is an accurate account of Jesus's life, but by no means is it, is it exhaustive, right? This, what you get in these 16, 25, 28 chapters, this is not all of what Jesus did, right? This is just the highlights of what he did um, that they can lead to us, but everything that's written in the Gospels is sufficient for salvation, amen? Um, so there's this universal proverb that we don't get a chance to hear Jesus say, but we know it's being passed around. It's his disciples promoted it, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, this sounds like this old maxim, some old adage or proverb that you tell your children, but that you tell them, but that you actually don't do, right? Um, so, hey, sticks and stones, Luke and Noah may hurt your bones, but words can never hurt you, right? But you saw that defunct, even this Thanksgiving. I'm not going by her house because she told me my sweet potato pie wasn't good, right? So, you know, right? You don't actually live up to the proverbs that you preach, but um, <laughs> what we see in Paul's life is that this wasn't just some regular proverb. This wasn't just something that he circulated, something he learned in his grade school years that meant nothing to him, right? This was not the passing down of mama's wise sayings, but what we see is that Paul actually modeled his life around giving. Paul's life reflects the heart of our generous father. In fact, the generous God of the Bible desires to have generous children whose lifestyle also bears out that they believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So as we take this brief little survey of Paul's life, 
I think we'll find, I want to highlight just three things that I think we need to be sharing. All right, you ready for this? We need to share our resources. We need to share our lives. And we need to share the gospel. Paul's life was centered around giving and sharing. And I think three things we'll highlight. We need to share our resources. We need to share our lives. And we need to share the gospel. Let's look first at just by sharing our resources. Uh, from the, I bet if you're like me, just from the earliest you can remember your, now Douglas, it might be a different, you know. My first le lesson on economics was very rudimentary. But Douglas, if you ever see that brother do math, it's a wonder. He'll sit at the table, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> 3,255.76. It's, it's a special talent that he has, right? Um, but anyway, you know, my first lesson on economics was, uh, hey, mom, can I have that little box of candy where you don't know what the t candy is and you taste one that tastes like Fruity Loops and then you taste the other one that tastes like rotten eggs and you taste the other one that tastes like baked beans? What is that candy? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Who? Yeah, just so, it's some weird jelly bean, right? And I can remember asking my mom, Mom, can I just have this? And you know what mama say? Child, I ain't wasting my hard-earned money on no mystery box of jelly beans, right? That's the first lesson in economics that I got. Because money doesn't grow on... That's right. That's my first lesson in economics, right? Um, the American concept of money seems to be there's a limited amount of it. Amen, somebody. And there's a limited amount that you have, right? Um, and you don't waste money, right? And more importantly, the little money that you get, whose is it? It's yours, right? And you have the right to disperse and use how you would seem uh, fitting to use it. Paul seems to be playing by a different economic handbook. He seems to have missed this. If you skip up a couple verses that you don't have, you just have to trust that they're there. Verse 33, Paul's going to say, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own necessities and to those who were with me. Now, just pause. Isn't that the root of a lot of our issues with money and giving, right? It's, it's the coveting, right? It's the fact that we lust or desire greatly for things. Um, not only do we feel like our money is ours... And the things we possess are ours, but we're never satisfied. Like we get, but we're always looking for more. Our hearts long for more things, better things, other things, somebody else's things, somebody else's gifts. We just want more of it. And no matter how your heart covers, covets, no matter to what degree it covets, it's just a coveting little heart. Right. You might not covet um, from your friends or your neighbors um, in that sense. But you know what? Every time you read the pennies catalog, I wish. And if I could just have and you know what? My my sh if I just that jacket, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it's not a you know, we've given ourselves such a pass for coveting and greed. But isn't that what it is, man? Just not satisfied with ours. But anybody else got it really better. And if I can only have what they have. Right. One economist, economist actually uh, says these words that he describes people as homo economicus. Don't ask me to say it again. Just trust that it's there. He says, this view defines people as being at their core solitary individuals whose lives are devoted to increasing pleasure through consuming more material goods and increasing leisure. This is what we are, solitary individuals looking to increase pleasure through consuming more material goods and increasing leisure. 
Now, Paul's going to have none of that. He resists this nature to covet. His life is set up on this whole different paradigm. Matter of fact, he says in verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. Now, if you don't know anything about Paul, know this. This man was radically saved by the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, right? He immediately, well, not immediately, a couple years later, he's thrust into ministry. And it's not just any ministry. He literally becomes the most important man in the whole New Testament. He's responsible for probably about 80% of it, right? The Lord used him mightily, right? And so he is the first church planter. Did you know that you're standing in the church plant today? This is what you're a part of. Well, Paul is the ultimate church planter. He writes the handbook. And so he's traveling to Cyprus, to Crete, to Athens, and all these places. He's setting up churches. And as he set up these, these new faith communities that need to exist and they have to function, they have to take care of needs in the church, Paul, the person who is founding these things, um, he works when he gets there. He, we believe, has some kind of uh, manual labor trade of tent making. And so he'd use his hands and he'd work to take care of his own necessities and the people who were traveling in his company so that the tiny little baby church that he's just forming, they wouldn't have to have that as a burden. So he goes places and he works for his own necessities. And that's all he's doing. I just need to make sure I got food, we got clothes, we got sandals, I'm good. Now that's crazy. Because that ain't American, is it? You know, when's the last time you ever got called into the office and say, hey, just congratulations, mister, we want to tell you you got the job. And they slide you that piece of paper and says, here's your package. You look at the package, and when's the last time you said, oh, man, praise God, I have enough to take care of my needs. I have just enough. Right? Now, that's not how it works, right? You get, the, you get the envelope, hey, mister, here, congratulations, here's your job. Here's your package. You get the package, you're like, oh, man, I only have enough to take care of my needs. Isn't that how we do it? Paul's on some other type of thing, man. He says, man, I got enough to take care of my needs. Church, I'm going to relieve you of that burden so I can free up kingdom resources to be used to advance the gospel. You know, you want to be grateful this Thanksgiving? You want an attitude of gratitude? Paul was a man who was marked by radical contentment. And if you want gratitude, maybe this Thanksgiving, you, maybe we take a teaspoon of contentment. Just swallow that up, and guess what? We'll begin to see everything we have as a huge blessing from the Lord, something that we didn't deserve. Paul says it himself, 1 Timothy 6 and 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, I wish I could just get it. When the last time somebody just praised them for But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Basically, now how does this tie in with giving, sharing your resources? Well, you can only give if, you can, if you're content with what you have. You can only share if you are content with what you do have. But if you're not content with what you have, you'll never share. It's amazing in America what we consider to be poor. Those of y'all who have been around and done mission trips and seen it, 
even the poorest amongst us, literally trumps in assets to the poor around the rest of the world. But we feel like we have such great need. Consider Paul's philosophy of work briefly. Paul says, this is strange in Ephesians 4 and 28. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with your own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. In this book, Practicing the King's Economy, the commentary on this verse simply says that work empowers us to do something good with our hands. It provides for our necessities, our families and ourselves. And we have something to share with those who are in need. Basically, we don't amass wealth to create our own little kingdoms. He says to the thief, stop stealing. Why should I stop stealing? So you can do something useful in society, thief. You can take your work and you can provide for your necessities and those around you. And thief, you can share with your community. Which is probably, thief, the reason why you're stealing in the first place, because someone is not sharing. We used to go down to the French Quarter and we would watch these men flip with Gina's family. And he had, some of y'all have been down and seen it, and they had this joke. They said, hey man, donate to the bucket, donate to the bucket. Because if you donate to the bucket, it'll keep me out the poor house, which will keep me out your house. Every little bit of joke have a little bit of truth in it, not done it. If you shared the surplus, maybe you wouldn't have your surplus being, okay, all right. <laughs> there is actually no more objective and tangible reality and picture of your devotion to the kingdom than by looking at those bank statements. You know, nobody can tell, do you love the Lord, sister? Yeah, I love Jesus. I know this, I know that. I know all these scriptures. I have, I have quiet time in the morning. We don't know. We can't, we can't tell. We don't, I, we, we don't know, right? But you look at them bank statements, you can tell. You can see what those assets are going to. Go sit down this week and look at the book. Now, if you have just enough to keep the lights on, praise the Lord. Pray for more. And when you pray for more, don't pray for more just so that you can have more. Pray for more that you can share more with the community. I want to be a blessing. Anybody want to be a blessing in the room? Lord, I want to see others come to a saving knowledge of who you are. And I don't want their lack to stand in the way of seeing the truth. James says it. Hey, man, I can't preach to this man. We can sit through an hour-long sermon, listen to old crazy Pastor Tim. This man hungry. Let's get him some food. Then he can listen to an hour-long sermon by Pastor Tim. Right? But Lord, bless me to be a blessing so that I can demonstrate the wonder of how you care for your own. That they would desire to become sons and daughters of a good, good father. That's what we want to demonstrate. This is what Paul was about. And Paul doesn't make uh, giving a calculated event. He doesn't limit it to a mission trip or some special emphasis in a season. Paul makes giving a way of life is what I'm saying, y'all. We got to share our lives. Everybody say share your life. I want to challenge us today to not just limit our giving and our sharing to material resources, um, but 
our, just the entirety of who we are as well. We see this modeled in 1 Thessalonians 2, um, verse 5. It says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. In short, Paul and the apostles weren't just offering handouts. They weren't just preaching the gospel. But they were sharing their lives with people, actually. And they said, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. When was the last time you attached yourself to someone in a meaningful way that wasn't your biological kin? You just said, you're going to be my family. And you can have access to my whole entire life to see you progress. You know, people live their lives in a way to avoid adding more complicated human relationships to their life, right? That is your whole goal. My family crazy, my roommate crazy, my teammates crazy. I don't need no more drama in my life. You can't do that, y'all. You just can't. You can't. That is not a Christian mindset. I know you had a very eventful sparks flying Thanksgiving, and it reminded you all over again why you only see those people once a year. <laughs> I know that's what happened, but you got to go back into the brokenness. That's what Christian people do. We see the drama. We run to it, not away from it. We can't just walk with people as long as it's nice and neat. You respect my space, I respect yours. Don't, you know, this is my food, you know, this is your side of the refrigerator, you know what I'm saying? No, we, can't, we can't do that. And for God's sake, you know, don't act sinful around me. You ought to be grateful, so don't act sinful around me. Man, people are broken. And can I just tell you, as you are walking with people in any type of depth and for any period of time, you know that the brokenness will emerge, and just because the brokenness emerges, you can't turn your back on sinful people. Amen, husbands and wives? We get to see the real deal. But those vows say sickness and in hell. Richer, poorer. You look like God today. You look like the devil the next. <laughs> it says, I'm not leaving. And I will be here with you, Gina Johnson, as you are perfected. Come on, man. And some of us have lived long enough to see it. You know we are better versions of ourselves because of the people who have attached themselves to us and rode out the storms through sick and, and, and through, through all types of drama. Oh, man. It's so much easier to just walk down Summer Avenue, see the man with the, with the flyer, say, I need $5 something to eat, and you can just throw him the five. That's easy giving. It's not easy giving to say, hey, get in this car. I don't know where we're going. I don't know what we're getting doing, but just come on. And I'm indebting myself to you. Paul was a single man. And he gave away his freedoms and his comforts for others. 
What would it look like for you to give away real estate in your life? To not just share what you can afford to share, but to give yourself to someone. What if your personal workout time looked like an opportunity for discipleship? What if going to Chick-fil-A with the kids mean you brought another one of the young sisters into faith and you sat with her, heard all her issues? And, you know, he liked me yesterday, but he don't, and I don't know what to do. And I just, you know, he didn't want to say anything to me. And when I saw him, I didn't, what, if, what if you just sat there for an hour and just heard that while your kids are playing behind the glass and you love that baby to the truth? What if family night included two families? What if your office or your back room, the junk room, became a place for someone to sleep? What is it, I don't know. What, 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 it just, Lord, what does it look like for us to use all of who we are to see people experience your fullness? One of the most impactful pictures of the gospel in my life was my godfather, uh, Derek McCall. So I was this really average kind of athlete in Mobile. <laughs> Average student, just kind of average, but I wanted to play football, and I had some raw kind of ability, but I didn't have, like, elite kind of ability. And this man, he wasn't working, would drive at least 10, 11 miles from his house, 5.30 in the morning, come pick me up, junior in high school, sophomore, junior in high school, pick me up, take me another 10 miles, go to a field, spend an hour with me, running routes and running and, and doing what I'm doing. And then he would keep me with him the whole day. We go in the evening, we go work out and then bring me home at five o'clock. He did this three consecutive summers, no pay. To this day, I don't understand. Clearly he gained nothing from this. Tim said, yes he did. But do you understand what I'm saying? But to see me progress was all he wanted. Paul says it in Philippians. Remember that one where he says, I don't know whether to live is Christ, to die is gain. I don't know whether I should go or should I stay. But he says, I'm going to remain. Why? For your joy and progress in the faith. Is there anybody in your life who's not a part of your biological kin who you can point to and say, I've poured out. Why? I clearly am not going to gain anything from this experience except for their joy and progress in Jesus. Can you point to one? We want you to because it's good that way. Lastly, we share the gospel. We share our resources. We share our lives. We share the gospel. Matthew 10, as Jesus sends out his apostles to proclaim the gospel of his kingdom, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He said, you received without paying, give without pay. You, child of God, have received your most valuable gift without pay. Now you share it without pay. What is the most valuable gift that you have, child of God? It's the forgiveness of your sins, what we will celebrate and seal to our conscience in a moment. It's the forgiveness of your sins by Christ's blood and adoption into his family. That's the most valuable thing we possess. Does anybody still believe that? We have to share it, y'all. Paul strategically manipulated his life in a way that maximizes his opportunity to share the gospel. Look, he prays in Colossians 4. While he's in prison for sharing the gospel, this is what he prays. 
Pray for us, brothers, that God may open the door for the message so that we can proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. This man is nuts. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, but still thinks his greatest gift to society is not handouts, but is preaching the gospel. Pray. Somebody pray that I can just get an audience with somebody. It's the best thing I can offer you, man. Can I tell you about Jesus? Are you being stingy? Are you still not sharing the greatest gift you have? You know, do you realize that people need Jesus more than they need your companionship? Do you realize that people need Jesus more than they need your money? Do you actually believe that people of God? Do you believe that even if people don't hold up a sign on Poplar or Summer Avenue saying, I need Jesus, that they do need Jesus? That even if people aren't aware that they're in grave need, you know that they need it. Your friends, your family, the people around you, their lives are empty, lonely, dark, and complicated, and they may not ever volunteer that information to you, but you know it's true, and you know it's there. They hide behind family success and friends and jobs. They live vicariously through their kids. They drink away sorrow. Some are functional addicts. They turn to different disciplines. I'm going to try yoga, weightlifting, high-intensity training with Kristen Ireland. She's just starting a new class back there. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just shout out my girl. People hide, man. People hide, but they know the lives are broken. But maybe the great irony of all of it is that the enemy has convinced the Christian that those who are in most need are the ones who have the most that the grass is actually greener on the other side. So here we are, rich in Christ Jesus, but they have it better, don't they? If we could just have their stuff. This is going to be our ongoing battle. It started in Eden. It'll continue until the Lord comes back. But oh, that the people of God will realize the great riches that they have in Christ Jesus and that you would see the world as victims in need of rescue people who are being abused and robbed by the prince of darkness. You know that I think Tim Keller tells a story it's about hypothetically if someone found the cure for cancer and they held it. That would be the most cruelest thing you could ever do. And if you believe, Christian, that you have found the cure for all of life's ills, for you to sit on that, that would be the cruelest thing you could ever do to all of mankind. Not to share your money, but to not share the gospel. So how we land this plane. The proverb that we started with, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Is it more blessed to give than it is received? I believe it. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. Hebrews 6 and 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown for his name as you have ministered to the saints and continue to do so. The Lord rewards and the Lord does not forget. And I love to be on his list. I know he's going to come back. 
Now, here's what I want to tell you real quick, though. We don't believe that you're going to put God in your debt. You're not going to give and then say, now, God, now you remember. Now, it's about time to cash in on that. No, that ain't how that works. You don't control when, you don't control how, and you don't control what the blessing is. You just know that the Lord is not unjust. He will reward, and he does not forget. Amen. And you know this, I love this about mama used to do this in church. How many of y'all know 2 Corinthians uh, says he gives seed to the sower? You know what that means? That means that those people who committed to giving always find that they'll have the resources to give. To be a godly giver, you have to emulate what you believe has happened to you. It's one of our favorite verses in the avenue, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that though he was rich, yet he for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty can become rich. If you believe that's true, Christian, then what can't you give? What would be too much? I need you to see your life like your refrigerator on Monday morning after Thanksgiving. So we done had our in-laws over, neighbors then came, ate gumbo, friends that came in the house, ate food. And what your refrigerator still look like on Monday morning? Still full. <laughs> we have and have in abundance. And if you believe that that's what your life really looks like as a Christian, then maybe we could say what the first pilgrim said. By the goodness of God, we are so far from want, so far from it, that we often wish you could be partakers of our plenty. If you believe you have, then you'll be a giver. You won't just give your time, your talent, your treasure, but you'll give your life, and you'll share the gospel as well.